Hey everyone and welcome to the Liam McCollum Show. Today I'm going to talk to Grant McCurley. He is a defense attorney out of Illinois and is currently dealing with a situation where the Supreme Court of Illinois has suspended the Sixth Amendment. It's kind of a scary time right now because of the virus and the economy, but it's also scary because we're seeing a lot of infringements on rights across the country right now. And I do think that all of it is out of good intent, but there are some unintended consequences like the ability for the state to keep people locked up indefinitely, even if they haven't been tried in a court. So yeah, I think that Grand's work is very important. We're gonna talk about what it means for the state of Illinois, um, what people can do to try to remedy this if if they've been affected by it, and just a little bit more about what it's like to be a defense attorney. Here's the interview. Hey Grant, thank you for joining me. Um, if you wanna just introduce yourself and tell us who you are, that'd be great. Hey Liam, thanks for having me. Uh, been listening to your show since you had it, uh, and I listened to your interview with Jacob Hornberger. I support him for nomination of the Libertarian presidential nomination as well. Um, a little bit about myself, I'm also an attorney, uh, nowhere near the experience that Mr. Hornberger has. Um, but I do practice criminal defense here in Illinois. It's the only state I'm licensed in, unfortunately. Um, so I practice criminal defense here in Illinois. Uh, I've been doing that since 2018, so I'm relatively new to the field. Grew up here in the Chicagoland area. Uh, went out to college, though, in South Dakota. Got my uh, law degree in Arizona, and now I'm back here in uh, Illinois. So I've been all over the past six to eight years, but now I'm back in Chicago uh, trying to you know, protect people against the state as much as I can. Awesome. Well. If you want to just tell people what the Supreme Court announced in their order regarding the COVID-19 emergency, that would be awesome. Yeah, so basically the, the reason, and you know why you had me come on here, is because we want to talk about um, the right to a trial by jury, uh, which as we know is an inestimable, an inestimable safeguard against, um, against the government. Uh, you know, this is just a real, you know, stripped down version of it. But before, you know, there was jury trials, you know, the king or whoever was in charge, uh, could just declare somebody an, outlaw, an outlaw and, you know, incarcerate them um, without any type of uh, due process or any type of procedure in place to determine whether or not this person, you know, is actually guilty. Um, so since the founding of our constitution over 200 years ago and in, in, in all modern democracies, um, well, at least in this one, um, you know, there's a right to a trial by jury. However, in Illinois, um, they have basically suspended that right to a trial by jury. Um, recently and from the Illinois Supreme Court and it wasn't this wasn't passed by the legislature this was just a decree uh, that came down again from the Illinois Supreme Court by themselves and they're basically saying uh, um, that the continuances occasioned by this order serve the ends of justice and outweigh the best interests of the public and defendants in a speedy trial so oh, that's just them saying you know on their own hey uh, you don't have a right to a, uh, to a, a speedy trial right, right now so to be so but just to be clear they haven't. This this and this is kind of the you know people are saying this is why I hate lawyers or I hate the legal system. They haven't in effect in, in effect said we are canceling jury trials. They haven't said that um, or suspending jury trials. What they're saying is that the speedy trial provision in Illinois is now um, basically that is basically suspended. So in Illinois. Um, Illinois has what's called a speedy trial provision. This is by Illinois statute. So this isn't something under the federal law or under the federal constitution. This is in Illinois specifically. So 725 ILCS 5-1035 
basically says that if you're charged with a crime and you are incarcerated, meaning that you haven't posted bond, so the police come to arrest you, uh, I don't know, you have a bunch of heroin in your house or whatever, they, they, they accuse you of something, and um, and you go to bond court and your bond is set for a million dollars, and so you got to post 10% and no one has $100,000 for you to get out, well, you're going to be sitting in jail to the conclusion of your case. Um, and whether you go to prison or not, you'll get credit for time served at the end of that case. So if you're there for a year, you'll at least get that. But it, the Illinois Speedy Trial Statute mandates that they, that the state has to bring you to, to jury trial within 120 days if you're incarcerated. If you do post bond and you're not incarcerated, uh, then it's 160 days. So realistically what happens, and I'll explain how it usually happens um, without the coronavirus, well, and then I'll explain how, how it's basically in effect um, suspending jury trial rights, even though they're not really saying that. How it usually works is that, again, they have, the state has to bring you to trial within 120 days, unless um, a delay is occasioned by the defendant. So how is a delay occasioned by the defendant? Well, you get arrested, say, uh, on June 1st, and then the trial is set for June 30th, and then on June 30th, the defense counsel comes to court and says, Your Honor, we need a continuance, or even prior to that date on June 15th, there's a status date, and they ask for a continuance, you know, to uh, agreement with the state to get more evidence. Well, then, um, then that calculation towards the 120 days pauses, or legally it's called it tolls. Um, and then the, that 120 day period won't recommence until there's another trial date. Defense attorney shows up at the trial date and so does the prosecutor obviously. And the defense attorney uh, requests uh, and answers ready for trial. And then the prosecutor asks for a continuance. Only then will the time attributable to the 120 days recommence. If the if the attorney, the defense attorney and the, and the state's attorney both show up and they answer ready for trial, well then you'll just have trial. Um, or if the both of them show up again and they ask for to continue the trial by, by agreement, or the defense attorney on his own asks for asks to continue the trial, well, they'll, they'll just continue the trial. The only way that the 120 days will start recommencing or start ticking again is if the defense attorney answers ready and the state's attorney asks for for a continuance. Now, with this rule in place, the court or the state's attorney can ask for a continuance, and it won't be attributable towards the 120 days. So essentially what they can do is they can just continue the trial in perpetuity until this order is taken away by the Supreme Court. So it's not that they've suspended jury trials. They haven't said, hey, you can't have a jury trial. But basically the, the state never had the state never has to have a jury trial. At, at this point, they can just the jury. It happened to me on a case that was set for jury trial on May 4th. Um, the court on its own motion um, continued the case, which is fine if they want to do that uh, prior to this ruling from the Supreme Court. Yeah, they can do that. Um, they can continue the case, but if they did and it's over the defense counsel's objection, now there's going to be time calculating towards that 120 days. Now, with this rule in place, the court can continue it, continue the trial, or the state's attorney can continue the trial, and there won't be any time being attributed towards those 120 days. So, so essentially, what they're what what the state's attorney could do, yeah, they can. Yeah, they're they're encouraged to cut people deals right now during all this. But if they don't want to, they don't have to. They can just keep continuing the jury trial in perpetuity, not tender any offers to defense counsel. They keep these people incarcerated in the county jail, waiting trial for their case. Like I said, they don't offer any any um, plea negotiation, whether they're going to send them to DOC for some time, Department of Corrections, or offer them probation or some type of other conditional discharge or some other disposition. And they can just, like I said, hold these people basically right now um, in perpetuity until the you know until our wise overlords at the Supreme Court uh, declare that um, the speedy trial statute is now back in effect. 
Is there anyone in Illinois that's trying to challenge us right now? Not that I know of. Uh, there is a state, led, I think a Republican state legislature way down south in Illinois. And, and, just, and just to give you like just a quick 20 second, you know, context of how Illinois works. Chicago is in the northern part of Illinois, and that's where all the other collar counties are that surround Chicago, and, that, and that's where most of the Illinois population is. So what happens in Chicago is pretty much happens throughout the entire state of Illinois, even the more rural areas down south near Kentucky and Missouri. Um, but there is, a, I think, a, a, just something I read about real quickly, um, a legislature down there suing Governor J.B. Pritzker for the extension of the stay-at-home order. But I, do, I don't think his genesis is based on um, the right to a, the, the jury trial um, provision, um, the speedy trial, jury trial provision of, uh, of the Supreme Court mandate. Um, so unfortunately right now, there's not really any, any challenge yet. Okay. Are any of your cases directly affected by this order? So I have, so I have a couple of, I have a couple of cases. Um, so I'll talk about one that was already, um, where a defendant was already charged. And then I'll talk about how, if someone is charged newly, um, after this order had been implemented. So I might've stated, uh, just a brief moment ago that, um, I had a trial set in a case, um, on May 4th. Um, this was a, um, a case where the police, uh, it was one of the, it was a case where the police raided, it was a, it was a drug raid, a, a typical war on drugs case. Um, they raided the house. Um, it was, um, a team of about 15 officers raided the house. They found crack, uh, cocaine and, um, and a scale in the house, um, scale in the kitchen with razor on it. Um, defendant, however, when they raided the house, the defendant wasn't at the house, at the apartment. He was about a mile away at the gas station. So there, so there's, so this is a good trial. So this is a good uh, case for litigation and a good, and a good tribal case. And there was, there was uh, multiple pretrial motions that had been filed. Um, and the cases was finally set to go to trial nonetheless, um, on May 4th, um, except the, the case got continued by the court saying, no, we're not going to have a jury trial. Defendant's not entitled to a jury trial. He's currently in custody of the Lake County Jail right now on a $150,000 bond. So someone's got to pay 10%, 15 grand for him to get out. His family can't afford the 15 grand for him to get out. And so he's going to have to sit there in perpetuity until the, uh, like I said, our wise overlords at the Illinois Supreme Court decide that it's in the interest of justice um, for him to be allowed to have a jury trial because right now the state's not tendering an offer that he can really accept. They're, they're asking for eight years. He doesn't want to take that. Um, and so the only way that we can force the state to go to trial is by the speedy trial statute is set the case for trial on May 4th and say, hey, we're going to answer ready. Now, full disclosure, the state, they could have asked for a continuance on May 4th because we weren't going to we weren't going to go over the 120 days. Um, but the thing is, is if, if we would have answered ready on May 4th, um, and the state would have asked for a continuance, then time would have been calculating towards the 120 days. But right now with this Supreme Court order in place, there's no time that's calculating towards the 120 days. So the state doesn't have to answer ready. They can just, oh, who cares? You know, we're not gonna try this case. We'll just let this guy sit there and now they'll really do anything. And they can get more time out of this guy that way. Um, so that's one So that's one case how um, uh, one of my defendants has uh, suffered while this is going on. Um, new defendants. So when you're charged with a felony as opposed to a misdemeanor, um, they the, the state has to go through another proceeding that they otherwise wouldn't in a misdemeanor case. There's an added level of protection that's, that's that you're entitled to if you're charged with a felony. When you're charged with a felony, the state either has to proceed forward with the case by a preliminary hearing or by indictment. 
preliminary hearing and in both those proceedings what the objective of those proceedings is is for the state to prove by a by a probable cause whether or not they can move forward on charging you with the felony preliminary hearing is just like a little mini trial in front of the judge where the judge is going to determine whether there's probable cause to move forward on the felony an indictment is where the state brings in a jury the same way they would in a truck in a criminal trial except this jury is not determining guilt beyond unreasonable doubt which is a higher burden than probable cause this grand jury is just determining whether or not there's probable cause for the case to move forward so the state can do one of their one they can either they can either move forward with the felony case by preliminary hearing or they can move forward on the on the felony case by indictment by calling the indictment again is calling in the grand jury so what the state's attorney's office is doing right now is 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 at least in Lake County I'm sure they're doing in other counties is they're trying to get people to waive their right to a preliminary hearing and waive their you know and 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 this and then they would have to indict the case or sorry they're trying to get people to waive their right to a preliminary hearing if they do not waive the right to a preliminary hearing the state can either go the preliminary hearing route or they can indict the case well the state doesn't necessarily necessarily want to call in a grand jury right now because it's gonna look bad I feel if they're denying criminal defendants the jury trial right but they're still calling in jurors to charge people with felonies so what happened in the case and I can't get into too much of the details of it but defendant was basically charged with a felony he hasn't been indicted yet I go to court on Tuesday and they and the judge and the state's attorney are trying are basically essentially trying to strong arm me into waiving his right to a preliminary hearing so they don't have to indict the case and I you know I tell the judge no we're not waiving our right to a preliminary hearing and then the judge and then at that moment they have 30 days to bring an indictment they have to 30 days to call in the grand jury and present to the grand jury that they have probable cause to move forward on this felony judge asked the state hey do you are you gonna be able to indict this case within 30 days state says yeah we'll be able to indict it in 30 days after I'm done in front of the judge I have a little conversation with the state's attorney and and I'm basically told that well if you have us indict this case there's gonna be no offer on this case meaning that I have to go meaning that the only way to resolve this case is go to jury trial and if you're found guilty then you're probably gonna get sentenced to a longer time than you otherwise would have and so I just I just smelled that that was just some fear tactic and I said okay well you know do what you got to do nonetheless later that day I get an offer from another state's attorney on the case so they were trying to they were trying to scare basically the defense counsel and the defendant into waiving their right to a preliminary hearing and that way they don't have to indict the case I told them no basically indict the case if you're gonna you know if you're gonna charge someone with a felony do what you got to do and nonetheless apparently they don't want to indict the case they don't want to call in a grand jury it would be massively hypocritical to ensure someone or to decline someone the right to a trial by jury but then call in a grand jury to charge them with a felony so they're gonna give they're gonna give this defendant probation so that's really the nitty-gritty nuts and bolts of how it's affecting criminal defendants in so far as people who are awaiting trial and in so far as people who are just now being charged with felonies if they are if this extends past the original 120 or 160 days what remedy do you think that people should seek against the state for the suspension well all they can really do all the defense counsel can really do is do what I did on May or when the on April 9th when the when the trial court continued the case that was set for jury trial on May 4th I filed written objections saying hey we object to this continuance and we're answering ready for jury trial on May 4th now that gives you that preserves the right to appeal to this case 
Um, but again, if it goes up to the Illinois Appellate Court and the Illinois Supreme Court, I, I'm not sure that the Illinois Supreme Court would, um, I guess, overturn their own you know, self-fulfilled decree that they've issued upon themselves. So it seems that the only remedy, if possible, um, I, I mean, there's, I mean, there, I mean, Realistically, I mean, the other remedy is to get a bunch of uh, is to get a bunch of people to vote J.B. Pritzker and a bunch of these politicians in Illinois out of office. I mean, that's one way to do it. Or the other legal remedy from a from an attorney, because who cares what you and me have to say? We're just a couple dudes on a podcast. Is the only legal remedy uh, that we that we that we have is to uh, go up to the uh, uh, federal courts and maybe they would slap down this uh, decree from Illinois. Um, but I haven't seen any litigation on that yet. Okay, and I have an audience question for you. Um, they're asking if Illinois has a habeas corpus protection. So yeah, so habeas corpus just means I think like transporting the body. So habeas corpus could mean that you're transporting the body from one county to the other. Um, in 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 a, in, a, in a case where um, there's there's multiple um, cases pending in, in multiple counties, so you you have a, a trial in, in Lake County, but you need to get this person who's incarcerated right now in Cook County. That's habeas corpus petition right there. But probably what what probably what your your uh, questioner is asking is um, is if if someone is found guilty at if someone is found guilty at trial or they're or they're held in violation of the Constitution, you can go to um, the federal court and file a writ of habeas corpus and ask the federal court and say, hey, this person, uh, yeah, was found guilty at trial in the state court, but there was errors and he needs to be released, or at least, or at least there needs to be mandated a new trial, or um, that this person is being held unlawfully in by some somehow in violation of the Constitution. Um, so, example, I guess you could say like if Illinois passed a law saying that, or if JB if JB Prisker passed a law saying that, uh, if anybody is outside and they're not wearing a mask, they're subject to one year incarceration. Um, and then someone gets incarcerated for that. Uh, theoretically, I guess you could file a writ of habeas corpus in federal court and say, hey, this executive order decree by the governor uh, is unconstitutional. And federal court, you issue a writ of habeas corpus and um, and ask to or request to and demand that this person's body be removed from the custody of Lake County Jail or Cook County Jail, wherever it is they're at. And now to get more into you and your background, um, do you want to talk a little bit about how you became a libertarian? Sure, that's always fun. Um, so I, I grew up again, like I said, in the Collar County of Chicago. Um, so I come from more of a, my, my, my family, um, is is democrat they're lifelong democrats so i you know the whole thing about libertarians are all just you know right-wing conservatives is not true um there, there's no way that i'm the only one um i come from a, a left-leaning background um because my grandfather was a head union official um, um for a company up here in, in northern illinois for many years um so i come from a, a leftist background but uh, as many people in illinois do uh, but about 2007, 2008, when Ron Paul was running his first presidential campaign, you know, I was watching the debates. I was just turning 18, so it was my first time that I was able to vote. So I was excited. Oh yeah, let me pay attention. Let me see what's going on. I I can actually vote this time. And then I see him talking about. I see Ron Paul talking about lifting the embargo on Cuba, and you know that that's that uh, apparently is a very unconventional thought um, in the main or a Democrat or Republican is, yeah, let's, yeah, who cares about what happened with uh, the United States and Cuba in the 1960s? And um, Fidel Castro, let, let, if if uh, if you're a corporation or, or a company in Florida and you want to sell oranges uh, to a person in Cuba or a person in Cuba wants to sell oranges to someone in the United States, yeah, who cares? 
uh, why does there have to be this embargo or sugar or, you know, if you manufacture whatever widgets in Florida and you want to sell it to people in Cuba or Cuba, or you want to uh, uh, buy some type of widget from Cuba, who cares? Let the embargo, let people trade. Um, and I just thought, you know, wow, I really opened my eyes up to, you know, why, you know, why is it? Why can't we just free trade with people? Um, I started looking into Ron Paul, went in that, went down that rabbit hole. Uh, then in 2012, um, I was a big Ron Paul supporter again. Um, he came up, or I went to go see him in Champaign, Illinois, which is about three hours south of Chicago um, in 2012. And then we also, me and a couple other people who we met up on uh, on like some type of Facebook group, right, or some type of blog, Mitt Romney came to Vernon Hills, which is a, a suburb outside of Chicago here. And we all came with, uh, we had flyers, we had like Ron Paul like brochures, um, and we had um, poster boards, and we basically like just uh, just bombed their, their little Mitt Romney event. I mean, it, it was good. Some people engaged with us. Um, it was fun. Um, fast forward all the way till now, you know, I think after 2012, the argument was, well, do we just infiltrate the Republican Party or do we, you know, do or do we spread the message of liberty through the Libertarian Party? And, you know, if you pay attention to what happened in 2012 in the Republican Party with, uh, with the Republicans literally disqualifying the Ron Paul delegates, I, at that moment, that, that's when I was like, they're not our friends. The Republicans aren't our friends. They get, they talk this game about small government but when you have someone who literally wants to end the Fed, you know, get rid of the Department of Education, get rid of HUD, um, get rid of the EPA, get rid of all these big federal agencies who, who aren't uh, essentially needed. Um, so you actually have a small, limited government guy, and, and it's, it's not that they're saying, hey, we're going to vote for Mitt Romney over Ron Paul because we think Mitt Romney's more electable. No, it's we're literally disqualifying his delegates from going to the convention. It's one thing for them to just say, yeah, we don't think Ron Paul's electable. Okay, fine. But have an honest convention. Right. Let there be right. de- let there be debate at the convention. Fine, you know. Uh, I agree with the I disagree with the with the moderate Republicans' strategy, just like doing the Libertarian Party. But fine, let that, but at least have an honest convention. And so when they're disqualifying the delegates, I'm like these people don't care about us. Mm-hmm. So that's when I that's when I really went over and you know joined the Libertarian Party. Um, and I I mean I've been a dues paying member since about 2016. Um, I, I supported Gary Johnson. 12 and 2016. Um, it, I just think that the Libertarian Party, as far as the political party, is the, is the best party as of right now to advance our ideas of liberty uh, rather than trying to infiltrate the Republican Party. And so that came to it. To talk about how you became a defense attorney or how you decided that, I, I'm actually trying to pursue, pursue law school right now. And I'm torn between, you know, do I want to be a defense attorney, constitutional attorney, you know? maybe even contract law. Um, do you maybe want to talk about how your libertarian ideals influence that? So, uh, how can I explain? So, I don't think my liber- my libertarian ideals didn't influence me to be a criminal defense attorney. Mm. I'll, I'll, speak, I'll speak more on how my libertarian ideals influence me doing what I'm doing now and how they influence me to be a thorn, basically, for the state by, the, by them not allowing to just roll over their, the criminal defendants that I represent. That the, the libertarian philosophy helps that in that regard is that I add, is that I uh, aggressively defend these people against the uh, powers of the state. But what convinced me really to be uh, a criminal defense attorney is that you know full disclosure when I was between the age of 17, 18, 19, I had been arrested um, probably at least on eight or nine different occasions for different offenses stemming stemming from you know marijuana possession, which is now legal recreationally, um, to some other bad things, you know uh, breaking into cars and um, 
there was a, a DUI case and stuff like that. So, but nonetheless, uh, that was that was over 10 years ago um, when I graduated law graduated law school. I had to go in front of character and fitness, which everybody who graduates law school has to pass. What's called character and fitness. They have to assess your your character and and to see that you're a good ethical person and you're basically you know not going to um, do something unethical in the legal profession. So, if you're charged with crimes or you've been arrested. Um, you have to go in front of a, a board and have a hearing. I did. I had. A, I went in front of the board, had a hearing, um, and they and, and they gave me the okay. Luckily, luckily, um, they let they let me uh, get the law license. Um, I sat for the bar exam, passed it, um, and here I am. So I, I think what wanted what I what made me want to be a criminal defense attorney is just that when I when I was arrested. Um, 10 or 12 years ago with the system that I've been through, I just, I, I saw firsthand that those who had attorneys who actually cared about the defendants, about them, who actually engaged them, who didn't just take their money and bleed and plead them, um, those, are, those are the people who fared better off. Um, my defense attorney basically told me, you know, hey, stop hanging around with these goofballs around here. You're, you're, you know, because where I grew up wasn't, you know, it's it's not the south side of Chicago, but it's not the the the, the really rich area either. It's 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 middle to lower middle class. There's there's gangs. There's street violence. Um, so you can you can make you can make do with whatever you want. You can there's people who I went to school with who went to college. There's people I went to school with who went to prison. There's people who I went to school with who's overdosed on drugs. Everywhere in between, wide range. People I went to school with are lawyers. People I went to school with who, like I said, overdosed a couple years ago on heroin. It's 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 a wide range where I went to where I went to school. Big uh, big diversity. Um, so I think that that's what that's what's influenced me is just the my personal background. Um, I wanted to go in and help the, the people in the same area in the same way that I was helped, and that's what I take pride in nowadays is helping a lot of these younger people, whether they're white, black. I mean, most of my to full disclosure, most of my clients are black. Um, but it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. I like helping out these young kids and telling them, Hey, it doesn't matter, um, what you did or, 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 you know, what you're going through right now is that when you get out of here, when you get out of prison, you need to stop hanging around these same people who are holding you back and you don't have to just hang around these, these low level places anymore the rest of your life that, that didn't dawn upon me until I went out to South Dakota. I went out to Arizona. I got away from the Chicago area. I'm not saying everybody in Chicago does crime, but, um, that, you don't have to basically that you don't have to go down this path. And so that's, I, I think that whole dynamic of representing someone legally is obviously important to protecting their constitutional rights and, and government overreach, but also connecting with people uh, on sort of uh, an emotional level and telling them that, hey, you're, yeah, you messed up that everybody may hate you right now, but you're, you're not, especially the younger guys, the younger kids that, I mean, I say kids, but people that are between the ages of 18 to 24. I mean, even when I was 24 years old, I mean, I still, I mean, I still wasn't as mature. I still don't think I need to be as mature as I am right now. I'm 29, but um, that you don't have to go down this life of being in gangs, um, of doing street violence, um, uh, of being on drugs, doing all this kind of breaking into people's homes, that these friends that you're hanging out with, they're really not your friends. Um, because as you see, when you get caught doing this robbery case, all three of these guys, whatever, they all snitched on you anyway. So what are you even doing this for? Um, you, you guys got a couple thousand dollars and nine iPhones. Great from the T-Mobile store, but now your friends all snitched on you and you're sitting here talking to me and your parents are paying me a few thousand dollars to help get you out of here. Like, this is not what you want for the rest of your life. Do you want to wake up when you're 30 years old and you're still here looking at these same shitty four walls? This is not where you want to be. So I think what caused me to want to be a criminal defense attorney is just that aspect of it is that there's a lot of criminal defense attorneys um, 
because the, who come from you know high you know high affluent uh, affluent backgrounds, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but I feel like I can connect with these people on a on a different on a different level. I I can make sense to them, and they'll listen to me and be more receptive of me because I grew up in the same area. I I I know about the uh, the street violence. I understand where they're coming from, so I can talk to them on a level differently than someone who grew up uh, in an area where the where the uh, median household income is 150,000 as opposed to 40 or 50,000 where it is where I grew up. When I talk to people about what type of attorney they'd like to be, one of the arguments against being a defense attorney is, oh, well, I just don't want to defend certain people, you know, like I, I couldn't sit and if there's a murderer or an attempted murderer, like those people I just couldn't sit in front of and with my conscience defend them. Do you ever come across something like that? Well, I no, because I've been no, because not yet. Anyways, not yet. Um, I, I to be full disclosure, I haven't had any like criminal sexual cases, any pedophilia, or any type of uh, criminal sexual assault cases yet. So if I if, if I come across those, then maybe I, uh, there would be some type of adverse you know feeling. Um, but if, but if you feel that way, then then one, yeah, don't then just don't be a criminal defense attorney. Then, yeah, then just don't get into the field. And two, if you are a criminal defense attorney in the field and you feel that type of way, then don't take their money. Uh, you know, then don't take the case. Um, if you if you if you're if you're just going to take their money and just try and, and plead with and, and plead them, and you're not actually going to and you and you and you're not willing to go to trial, you don't have the appetite to go to trial and defend this person um, as vociferously as you can, then don't take their money. So, I mean, yeah. It, as far as some people that say they can't get into it, I'd ra- I'd rather them just yeah just be honest and, and not get into it. As far as I'm as far as I'm concerned, um, the way I look at it is is I'm here protecting the integrity of the of the system. Is that if if not for me raising objections, if not not for me filing motions, if not for me um, doing what I do, the judge isn't just going to come in there and say, "State, you're not supposed to be doing this." The defense attorney has to be there and say, "Judge." The state's trying to introduce this evidence. This is against the the evidentiary rules. Judge, this evidence that the police obtained is unconstitutional. This needs to be suppressed for trial. The judge isn't just going to go there and, and say, oh, uh, state, did you do everything correctly? No, that's what the defense attorney is here for. We're here to uh, protect the integrity, uh, supposedly, of the system. Um, and th- that's the legal side um, of, of what I like doing. Well, I think that was everything. If you want to tell people um, a little more, if you have some last words, and then if you want to just uh, tell people where they can find you, that would be great. We can let you go. Sure. Again, my name is Grand McCurley. So his first name is just G-R-A-N, no T or no D or no M. Um, McCurley is spelled M-C-K-E-R-L-I-E. And you just type that name into Google or maybe put attorney before or after that name, and I'm sure it'll come up. Um, I have a Wix website, so it might, you might have to scroll down like halfway through the page um, on Google. But you'll see me on – you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, I'm the libertarian attorney. Not sure if there's any more of those. Um, don't have too much of a following, but that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to just tell you guys about the, uh, the jury trial rights um, that have been – you know, basically suspended here indefinitely in Illinois. And, um, you know, if you guys want to get us to uh, reach out to me, have any questions, that's fine. You can go on my website and email me. Um, I've checked my email pretty quickly. Uh, that's about it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Grant. Thanks, bud. It's the weekend and we can let go. It's the full send and it's the get-go. It's the get-go. Screen on